Good evening. Here we are toward the end of the first day of our retreat, and I've been sitting retreats for 23 years, and I never know how the first day of a retreat is going to go. (laughs) So whether it's your 30th retreat or your very first retreat, there's just a very real process of settling that happens, and part of it is just the process of our nervous systems unplugging from the swift-moving current of our lives. And, you know, like Joanna said this morning, there can be times when we um, get really, really sleepy because the, the system doesn't know the kind of... Um, natural rest that comes from the practice. We kind of know how it is to be gas or break. You know that feeling? You're full on or you're in the tub with Netflix on. (laughs) And sometimes there's just a lot of agitation too as we get going on a day like today. Um, The feeling like you can have no caffeine but you might come to sit and feel all revved up. So your energies are just balancing out and it takes time for the natural wakefulness, the natural energy of the practice to kind of rise up and support us. And if this is your first retreat, I want to acknowledge that I think of a first retreat as like an a initiation of sorts. It's like it's a thing. It's a thing to do this. And if this is your first retreat, you'll never again have to get through <laughs> the first day <laughs> of a meditation retreat. I, uh, I remember my first retreat, and you know I was really into meditation. I felt enormously fortunate to have the gift of being able to sit a retreat. And um, I went very driven. I really wanted something to happen with that time, and I... I don't think I heard the relax and soften part of the instructions. And I was sitting there, you know, really not not hearing that it would have been okay to move to a chair. I was sitting in so much pain in my body. Tears would stream down my face. And I would just, you know, grit my teeth and try to get through it. And most of what was going on in my mind was thinking about the next meal. And what was going to be for lunch? (laughs) What was going to be for dinner? And there is, I remember the room I stayed in, I um, would look at the schedule of practice as I would go up to my room, and there was just a sense of, how the hell am I going to get through till the end of the day? Sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. And I left that retreat, and I, um, I just swore I would never do that to myself again. <laughs> I said this, you know, talking about getting rid of suffering, but all I'm doing here is suffering. It's just in so much suffering. And, um, yeah, and then I realized very quickly that something had happened for me. I realized very quickly that something had been touched in my heart and in my being. It was like I was finding or connecting with a truth that I'd known somewhere inside of me, but I hadn't quite touched or put into words. And, um... 
it impacted me, you know, it impacted me so much that, you know, here, here, here we are, here I am. <laughs> and no matter what was happening for you, because we come to retreat, I mean, you probably spent some, anybody who comes to Vallecitos, we spend time and energy on thinking about what it's going to be like. Like, oh great, I'm going to get to Vallecitos and the beautiful trails and the animals. You know, and then you get here and it's like you're just with your own mind and maybe you didn't sleep last night and it's never, you know, quite what we imagine. Because we, we bring ourselves, we bring all of our lives with us. And that's the practice, is to show up with this too. To show up right here in the center of our lives. And, you know, meditation practice, the instructions Joanna gave us today, they're actually very simple, right? They're very straightforward. You're using your capacity for attention to direct, you know, towards sensation in the present moment. It's like you can sense your hands in this moment. Very simple, not a big problem but we're really not used to being simple most for the most part you know for the most part we're not used to being simple we're used to thinking about things we're used to the mind being a problem solving machine and there are huge problems in our lives and in this world that desperately need to be solved what we're connecting with here what we're harvesting and opening to here is a kind of wisdom that doesn't come from thinking about things. We're opening the possibility to touch for ourselves a kind of wisdom that lives deeper in our own hearts, deeper in our own bellies. It's like kind of creating a space for something new to arise, for something new to form. Creating (coughs) a space and trusting that takes a lot of trust to do this work, trusting that. I heard this um, statistic some time ago. It was something along the lines, maybe you know the exact number, but it was something along the lines of all the thoughts you're thinking today, 96% of them are the same thoughts you thought yesterday. <laughs> Jeez, right? Jeez. Hmm. Joanna and I teach together in different places and Joanna said to me last night she said Erin why don't you give a talk and don't really bring any notes in the hall and I was like I don't know I mean you're teachers right you know how it is to be prepared and have your security blanket of all your notes and I said okay I'll do it (laughs) because I love her and trust her and when Joanna challenges me I listen (laughs) So I'm just sensing here as I'm, as I'm talking to you with a few notes, but really not that many, of just how it is like you to be meeting the moment in a, in a kind of an undefended way. You know, I was aware just as we ended a few minutes um, before dinner, there were just some moments outside. It's like how it was to meet the moment on the moment's terms. You know, because so much of life is scheduled. Just a sense of like, oh, how is it to see what is true in my heart and body in this moment? How is it to have the space to sense into if I want to 
look at the bulletin board or sit down or walk. Because so often we're not meeting the moment. We're meeting our programs, right? We're, we're meeting our ideas of things. And we live, can feel like living inside of a um, kind of box we have to contort ourselves into. Do you know that feeling? Yeah. And then we, we lose our connection to wholeness. We feel further and further and further away from ourselves. And that's why this practice that we're teaching you is one of remembering. Remembering. And I like that word remember because it's like re-member, becoming members again, returning to our belonging over and over and over again. But it's really a practice. (laughs) It's really a practice. And like anything, Practice takes time. Practice takes repetition. If you were learning to play an instrument or ride a bike, you probably wouldn't expect yourself to sit down and, you know, play a concerto, you know, or win, win the race. You take time. You take time. And meditation is a practice of a lifetime. I think of the Dalai Lama who practices every day. It's a hugely realized heart, practicing every day. And in the middle of it, you know, if your body's hurting or you want to go home, I mean, have you planned your escape routes? I bet. <laughs> I bet you've planned them many times, you know. Um, it's helpful to remember kind of the deeper pull that brought you to be here in the first place. I, I like, there's a, a Zen teacher, Suzuki Roshi, a great teacher of Zen Buddhism. And he talked about the, the what kind of, what is your heart's innermost request? I return to that sometimes, because it's like, oh, I want to I learn to be mindful. Oh, I want to learn to be calm. And it's like, as we follow that thread all the way down, like and keep sensing into what is our what is your heart's most deeply like what what do you long for more than anything else in your world? For me, there's something of the flavor of peace, of happiness, of freedom. Not just internally, but externally, collectively. It's good to just like keep letting yourself feel all the way down. What is your heart's innermost request? Because our innermost requests aren't just the next pleasant experience. It's deeper than the next pleasant experience. And I think what we really long for lives inside of us on the deepest level. You know, longing to know some of who we really are, some of our own capacity for peace, capacity um, for love. And that only ever lives in the present moment because the present moment is all there ever has been. It's all there ever is. You know, all these thoughts that come through our mind over and over again, it's like, oh, geez, the past, really, the past is a memory. 
the future hasn't arrived. It's just this moment where life happens. Is this out of battery? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't no, want to distract you. You're not you, distracting me. <laughs> I want to have a mic. I think I actually need two. Thanks, honey. We're modeling right now, mm-hmm. reacting to life. <laughs> <laughs> Your batteries die sometimes. <laughs> That's right. That happens. <laughs> it does. On a lot of levels, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of levels. So it's a lot. It's a lot to um, come on retreat. There can be a feeling like of a going along really fast in a station wagon that's full of stuff, full of like the trunk is full, the or the back seat's full, the you know the back part of the wagon's full. You're going along really fast, and suddenly the brakes come on and everything crashes to the front of the car. <laughs> it can feel like that when we when we come on to retreat. And it's really special. I, I know for me, I look at all the time I spend um, practicing or on retreat in my life, and my family thinks it's like going to a spa or something. <laughs> you know, like, that's so self-indulgent, Erin. You're going on retreat again, and I'm thinking, self-indulgent. Enough tofu, like self-indulgent, will look really different. And... and, um, and um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I know when I look back on my life, I will I will never I've never regretted a day spent on retreat. I've never regretted a day spent cultivating my heart and my mind. You know, just like the great good fortune that that's really all you have to do here, other than your yogi job. <laughs> we don't want you to stop doing that. <laughs> mm. I was on retreat in October for the month long, a month long of, so it was like, it was like this for a month, and we, you know, morning bell was at five, and the evening bell was at ten, like a lot of practice, Joanna and I do these retreats, and where we go practice, and it was a Buddhist retreat, and part of the instruction came from some words of the Buddha, and as I'm speaking about these words, I'm taking these as kind of words of wisdom from a spiritual tradition, not as like the authority or not as the best, but there's instruction to, to put down, to put aside your grief and distress for the world and go sit under a tree and basically do what Joanna taught you to do this morning. Pay attention to your butt, your hands, your breathing. And, um, and I just noticed how hard it was for me to give myself permission to, for the piece that was to put aside my cares and concerns for the world because there is a sense of like, no, I feel really responsible and I am concerned because it's true, I'm really concerned, honestly. And a sense of um, like a little bit of a battle in myself around giving myself permission to include that part of the instruction. And um, 
it took my system like a good 10 days uh, for that month to give myself permission to include that part of the instruction, not as a bypass, not as a sense of, oh, I'm just going to go do my own perfect little thing, but really to come into a deeper intimacy with the moment. Because I could sit there and think about everything in the world, but that wasn't going to actually give me the freedom that can make a bigger difference in the world. Thinking about it wasn't going to do it. It was like I just had to keep giving myself permission to enjoy the food, to let my body rest, to just be aware of a step right here, not to solve all of the world's problems on that retreat. Yeah, so we want to really be giving you permission. We want you to give yourselves permission. It's actually not ours to give, but we want you to give yourselves permission to open in this way that is undefended. That's where insight actually happens. Insight doesn't happen from thinking about things. Insight happens from this alchemical process where, where we do the practice, we show up and we do it, and something is happening inside of you. I know that. I am confident of that. Something is happening inside of you, even if you don't feel like, oh, I'm having these big bells and whistles. You know, we're creating the conditions internally and together in our sangha that really allow a deeper understanding to arise, that allow us to wake up again to our interconnectedness. But it's like, oh yeah, this step, this bite, this opening the door, this laying down, moment after moment after moment. And it's, it's um, kind of radical because this, this, um, some of what's being dissolved are all the messages that the culture tells us, you know? The messages that we're separate. It's like all this comes up, the programming comes up and through, but when it's known through the light of conscious awareness, mindful awareness, something new becomes possible. There's more space. So there's a way that we um, can see, not just with our face pressed up against the glass. Do you know how that feels? Like Just to be so inside of it all? We begin to be able to see what's beyond all the programs. We begin to be able to connect with something larger, freer, more um, where there's more choice. There's more understanding. Hmm. And nature, (laughs) how it is to be here, you know, as part of nature. It can be such a sense of like, nature's out there, that you are nature, you are part of the wildlife that is on this land right now. You are a creature of this place right now. Like, how does that feel? How does it feel as you sit here to feel yourself as creature, an animal, an earthling, of this place, at least for today, at least for these days. I know when I sense in that way, 
It's like I begin to drop and actually feel my connection to the earth. Not as a thought, but as a, as a kind of sense of groundedness, landedness, the body really being here. So there's a way that, that you know, just being here is just this invitation to let yourself be reabsorbed into nature. Be reabsorbed over and over and over again. I remember a retreat I taught last year. We have a retreat called the Belonging Retreat. I don't think that nobody here was on that retreat last year that I remember, right? Yeah, okay. Um, it's a retreat. It's great. We, we, we cap the registration of white folks um, on this particular retreat at 50%. So there's a really, um, just a, a, a really, a container that, that's really um, powerful in some ways. And there was a woman who came from Brooklyn, and she, uh, we went and did the lying down meditation way down along the stream, um, way down along the stream and I was giving the instructions and she came up to me and she said, is it okay to lie down? Like, what if I get eaten? Is something really bad going to happen? And I said, well, you know, it's up to you and I, I think it's okay to lie down. I've, I've lied down a lot here. And She was a mother of a nine-year-old. She came on the retreat just so exhausted and she would hike with this dress with nylons and tennis shoes and... Um, she laid down, and um, and I rang the bell. And it was like time to go, and she was asleep. She was snoring, mm-hmm. and she was, she was tired. She was absolutely exhausted, like you might be. And it was beautiful because the women on the retreat who knew her went and picked flowers and left them around her head. Mm. And she woke up, and there were these little flowers mm. around her head. And she came back and she ended up on, she said, you know, she said to me the next day, she said, that was amazing. She said, and she was, she's my age, 43. She said, um, I've never been on a hike before. I've always wanted to go on a hike. I've never been on a hike before. It's like, wow, got it. And, um, and she ended up doing miles and miles of hiking. It was amazing <laughs> what she was, she was doing. But she, you know, she raised her hand one evening and she was talking about her gratitude to be on this retreat. You know, gratitude for the support and the conditions that allowed her to be on this retreat. But she was also talking about the place of um, struggle in her that more of her people weren't here with her on the retreat. And she said, you know, my daughter's nine years old and my daughter's never been on a hike. And she said, nature deficit disorder is real. You know, it's just this sense of, of um, how deep this truth of nature deficit disorder is for us. And the power, you know, the power of coming to be in a place like this where <laughs> we're in an abundance of nature. I always remember her, though, because it just, for me, contextualizes what we're doing here in a larger way. I was so touched and inspired and um, moved by, by her story, by her sharing. <coughs> so this, um, 
this intimacy, this intimacy with the present moment, it sounds so like spiritual, but it's hard a lot of the time. It's hard to get close to fear. And sometimes with fear, actually, that's not the best instruction. We don't want to, like Joanna was saying, not, you don't need to go right into you know, the worst pain in your body, but it's part of having a deeper intimacy with ourselves and with all of life means we're, we're present with what's pleasant and we're present with what's unpleasant. You know, we're cultivating through mindfulness this capacity to meet what's here without adding on all the extras, without adding on all of the extra ways that we try to struggle and manipulate our experience. You know the difference, right? There's a huge difference. If you wake up in a bad mood, God damn it, I'm in a bad mood. I wish I could change this. I always do this. Why do I do this? You know how that can rev up quite quickly. And we wake up in a bad mood, and it's like, oh, geez, this hurts. I don't like this. Now I'm feeling deficient in some way. Okay, this can be held with kindness. The mood may not be different, right? But how we meet it, how we meet it. So we're, we're really through this moment by moment, this practice of insight, this practice of mindful awareness, we're, we're growing our capacity, we're growing the reservoir of something inside that isn't distraught. You know, that, that, that awareness itself is not distraught. The awareness just knows. The awareness can meet, can hold whatever it is. But in this world, you know, in this world where what you do, what you offer, what you give, what you hold, you know, we, we need that reservoir of something inside of us that is not distraught to meet the joys and the sorrows. And so often coming on retreat, there can be a sense of like, oh, i got to really, really, really work it. And we, that's why we keep reminding you to just settle back into this moment. You know, the presence is already here. It's just here and feeling the warmth of your hands resting. It's here in this natural awareness of, of, of the belly rising and falling as the breath passes through. It's here in a moment of softening. So we are um, we're in this process on this first day of retreat of really gathering our attention, collecting, arriving. You know, the the mind. As you know, Kareen's all over the place, all these stories, all these pieces waiting to be metabolized, and the body's just right here. The body's like a magnet for this mind. Did you create projects today to do in your mind? And I, I sit and it's like, well, my mind will create a hundred projects sometimes in like ten minutes. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing what the mind can cook up. And really the practice, you know, a lot of times folks come and I want want to let go of all this, I want to let go of all of this, but really what we're doing is is we're really practicing letting be. We're really practicing (coughs) radically letting be. This too. This this, um, 
shakiness in the body, this too, this tiredness, this, you know, wanting to go jet up the mountain, this thinking about something that's happened that's difficult, this too, this, this too. And as we let be, there begins to be more space, more space and more kindness toward ourselves to meet the moment. It's so interesting talking on the first night because we haven't met with you yet in small groups. You know, we just heard your voices up there last night and tomorrow we'll start meeting with you in small groups. But it's, it's um, after we meet with you in small groups, we just have more of a sense of kind of personally who you are and personally what you're bringing. We'll start doing that tomorrow, mor- tomorrow morning. You know, if you're having a hard time with the kind of doubt Joanna was talking about before dinner, it's really natural to doubt yourself, to doubt this practice, to feel like everybody else in the room can do this, but maybe not me. You know, I I have such confidence in this practice, (coughs) such deep confidence in this practice, such love for this practice. If you're feeling doubtful, you can borrow our confidence up here. We got a lot of it. We got a lot of it. So you can lean into um, our deep, deep confidence in this practice, in these teachings, in um, the capacity really to um, know refuge, you know, to know a refuge that lives inside your own heart. It's really the greatest gift you can give your students too, is your own presence deep, deep presence in the classroom. It's, it's really hard to have presence with others if we don't have deep practice and time to cultivate that with ourselves. So you showing up, you sitting and walking, you come back to your breath, already is a gift to your students, already is a gift to, to the people that you come into contact with. Well, I don't have a poignant closing. (laughs) I think I'll just share a poem by an author I really like, Alison Luderman. Some of you might know Alison Luderman. She lives in Berkeley. And I think she speaks to some of the work that we're doing here, but also also on you know the work that, that you do in your in your service, in your education. Read this and then we'll have a, a another walking period. She says, Because no one could ever praise me enough. Because I don't mean these poems only, but the unseen unbelievable effort it takes to live the life that goes on between them. I think all the time about invisible work, about the young mother on welfare I interviewed years ago, 
who said it's hard. You bring him to the park, run rings around yourself, keeping him safe, cut hot dogs into bite-sized pieces for dinner, and there's no one to say what a good job you're doing, how you were patient and loving for the thousandth time, even though you had a headache. And I, who am used to feeling sorry for myself because I am lonely, when all the while, as the Chippewa poem says, I'm being carried by great winds across the sky, thought of the invisible work that stitches up the world day and night, the slow, unglamorous work of healing, the way worms in the garden tunnel ceaselessly so the earth can breathe, and bees ransack this world into being, while owls and poets stalk shadows our loneliest labors under the moon. There are mothers for everything, and the sea is a mother too, whispering, and whispering to us long after we've stopped listening. I stopped and let myself lean a moment against the blue shoulder of the air. The work of my heart is the work of the world's heart. There is no other art. Just sit for a moment and let, let's just let the words settle a bit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.